You are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Oh, thanks, guys. That's so sweet. Oh, I'm, I'm impressed you can cheer that much after a weekend spent in the, in the woods and running around. And How many of you were here with us at family camp at any point at all over the weekend? Awesome. Cool. Cool. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, if you uh, wonder why everyone's screaming, uh, we just had a family camp. That's why there's all those weird tents over there, uh, if you were curious. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited today. I am... Um, I, I, t- today I've, I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to share a, a word that I shared here at Bethelana, if I remember correctly, 12, 12 years ago. And um, before we dive into that, I want to just frame up a, a couple of things. Uh, those of you who've been here a while know, know about this, but if it's your uh, first week, uh, something to know about me is that a, a big part of my personal testimony is that since, since I was a little kid, I've, I've seen in the Spirit. So ever since I was two, three years old, I've seen uh, angels, demons, and other spiritual things, uh, not so differently from the way that I'm seeing all of you right now. And before we uh, dive into what I want to talk about today, I just wanted to take a brief moment just to share uh, a couple of things that I saw during worship today, if that's okay with you guys. Cool. Awesome. If it's not okay, we have lots of exits, so that's uh, very helpful. <laughs> very helpful. Um, so I... Th- it's hard because there's always so much that happens during, during worship. It's hard to um, just land on a couple of things. Um, as a person who who's, you know, is not particularly musical and whose main job in places like these is to do the speaking, I can confidently say that the most important stuff that happens on Sunday happens during worship. The, <laughs> the most important stuff happens, happens during, during worship. The, the, the transfer... The, the, the transformation that takes place, the, the, the implementing, the adjusting, the, the release of the things that God's doing, it, it, the majority of it happens when we gather together and worship his name. And it's not to say the other things aren't valuable, but I, but I, I, I would have to think so, of course. But, the, but the, there's something truly precious that, that happens in there. So it, it's hard to just, just pick a couple of things. But as we were singing that, that song about his body being broken and about his, his blood, I saw these... Um, Angels walking into the room, and they were cl- carrying the um, uh, like classic uh, communion trays. Um, at least what, what classic communion trays look like to me, which is you know, the little silver tray, and it's got the little cracker type things, you know, on it. And then you have the other tray that has all the little, you know, small uh, micro glasses uh, of 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 uh, the, the stuff. And they were walking around. You'll get why I'm identifying that way in just a second, but I. I noticed they went around from person to person. With each person, the one with the tray with the bread, when they picked up the bread, the bread changed for every single person. One person, it was like this uh, bigger, fluffy loaf kind of thing. One, it looked like unleavened bread. One, it still looked like the cracker. One, it looked like a uh, communion wafer, if you've ever seen those before. But it it was different for every person. I noticed that the person who was carrying the, um, would be the wine or the juice in most cases these days, uh, as they came, it was in that what is classic to me, little you know, plastic communion cup. But some, as it as it came, approached the person, they picked it up and it turned to this beautiful uh, jeweled goblet kind of thing, like this beautiful detailed thing. For some, it w- turned into like a, a paper cup that looked kind of uh, 
uh, maybe too casual for, <laughs> for what it represented. And some people, I noticed, it would pour the, the, the communion um, down, down their throat. Some people would just dump it on the top of their head and, 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 or other places in their body. And I said, Lord, what's, what's going on? And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, um, I'm, I'm renewing their understanding of the gospel. And it felt as if, you know, all of us have a different experience with the gospel. So for some of us, it's a very recent story that we've, that we've stepped into. For some of us, it's, it's one that's been part of our life, maybe since we were uh, born. But I just saw that for each one of us, uh, the, the gaps, the places that we didn't yet understand, the pieces of revelation we had not yet tasted of, were being released into the room. And so I just want to just take just one quick moment before we start. Um, it comes some into a line with what I feel like I'm supposed to talk about today. But I just want to close our eyes and just linger in that moment just for one second of reminding ourselves of the goodness of the gospel, that God would send his son for us, that he would come to accomplish what we could not accomplish on our own, to, to, to give into our place of greatest debt, to not just give, to not just cover it with a check, but to cover it with his body with his blood, with a, a more personal and, and attentive and, and loving gesture than, than any other I can imagine. And so I just want to close our eyes and just one more time, whatever place in the story of the gospel you're in in your life, I just want you to receive what the Lord has to say to you about his gospel right now. Thank you. Your gospel is, is the simplest thing in the universe and also so deep and mysterious that none of us will fully understand it in our lifetime, Lord. And we just hold that tension in our heart today that this is one of the most relatable stories any of us has ever heard and also one of the most mysterious and massive and big. And so we just humble ourselves in the presence of your gospel, in the presence of the truth of what you've done for us. And say, Lord, continue to teach us who you are and to show us who you are through this piece of your story with us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, um, I first want to share this, this word that I got uh, many, many years ago. Um, I, it's funny. I, um, I think about this, this experience rel relatively often because it was an impactful one. Um, but I, I hadn't talked about it in a long time. I hadn't brought it up in a long time. And suddenly I heard the Lord, so, someone out of the blue say, it's, it's time to, to dig this word up again. It's time to bring it up to the surface. And I said, why? And he said, because it's time for it to be fulfilled. And I said, oh, okay. So that's the context for this. And it's interesting. I was doing a, a podcast interview uh, that, that evening. And I, uh, as part of what I do, I travel and speak in different places and sometimes do interviews and things. And they, I get asked a lot of questions about a lot of stories. But this particular story I'm about to tell you, I've, I've shared it a few times. It's in one of my books. But um, I almost never get questions about this story. And the, one of the very first questions this person asked me was about that story, right after the Lord had said it's time to dig this, dig this up again. And so... Um, so yeah, so I'm excited to share this with you guys. This will be familiar for some of you, but some of you it might be new. Um, this story started before I came here. Um, I, I did three years at the School of Ministry in, in Bethel Church in, in Reading, and that's where I met uh, Lauren and Steve and, and Lindy and, and Kristen and, and a few, few others scattered around the crowd. And um, 
I, um, when I was in my second year, I, um, I had a moment when I was in church. It was a Sunday night service. I was in church, and I just suddenly had this compulsion to, to leave, not to, not to vacate the property or just go back home, but just to, I knew that I had to get out of the room and, and go outside. And, uh, you know, when you, when you hear God's voice, sometimes you do weird things like that. You know, sometimes, sometimes you talk to a donkey, sometimes you dig coins out of a fish's mouth, sometimes... <laughs> You know, sometimes you got to go wash in the River Jordan. It's just, it's just how it goes. Um, but uh, I was a little bit disappointed that God waited until everyone had sat down after worship to tell me this. So I had to uh, scoot my way out, knocking the knees of every single person <laughs> as I got out, walked out to the, to the parking lot, and just felt compelled to go to this little gravel parking lot. It's um, since been paved over, but it used to be the place that all the students parked back, back at that time. And so I walked up there, and as I walked up there, I saw this angel standing there. And again, as I mentioned, I've, I've seen angels since I was a kid, and so this has been, uh, as strange as it may seem, a normal part of my, of my experience. And so I, I always thought it was a little bit funny when I'd read stories or I'd read even passages in, in the Bible where angels would start their message with, like, be not afraid, you know, because I thought, oh, angels aren't that scary, you know, That's, I'm surprised that, you know, people are scared. Um, but this angel helped me understand that. Um, <laughs> And it wasn't that he was scary in the sense of, like, I'm big and I'm going to get you kind of thing. Uh, the best way I can describe it is there was, a, there was a residual heat that was radiating off of this angel. Like, like when you're camping, for example, and a, and a coal gets kicked out of the center of the fire and lands near you, you can feel that, that radiant heat of something that has been at the center of something very, very hot. And I knew as I approached this angel that... This, this angel had experienced God in a way that I had not yet. And, and the radiant heat of that experience was, was intimidating, if, if, if that makes sense. And so I was this tall guy, wreathed in flame, wearing this golden armor. And so I walked up, and, and we had a conversation about a few things. But one of the things that we talked about uh, involved this scroll. He pulled open this scroll, and as he pulled it open... It was a very, very dark navy sort of color. And as he pulled it open, these uh, crystalline blue lines started to etch themselves onto this scroll. And it etched into a map of the, that I quickly recognized as a map of the United States. And uh, even with all the state lines and everything. And where I was standing in Redding in Northern California, I saw this, this little blue dot, this little crystalline blue dot. And this dot began to expand from that space. And after a few minutes as that was expanding, I saw this other crystalline blue dot um, right where I now know uh, Atlanta, Georgia is. And it started to get bigger and bigger. And then I saw these little dots appear everywhere. And there's this distinct crystalline blue, kind of like, uh, kind of like the water you see out in the Caribbean, you know, this beautiful, um, rich, bright blue. And it started dotting all these different places and then spreading until the entire map was, was completely blue. Um, so again, we had talked about a few things and I wasn't really sure what to do with that map, uh, other than when a few weeks from then, when a friend told me that this couple named uh, Steve and Lindy Hale were talking about starting a Bethel church in, uh, and school in, in Atlanta, um, and this person was wondering if I would be interested in, in uh, doing something with that, uh, my, my ears perked up. 
So flash forward some years later, I've uh, moved over here to uh, the Atlanta area. I'm at the uh, ABC building, one of the first uh, non-home buildings that we uh, had. And um, I was uh, volunteering at the church and at the school, and I was working at uh, Costco in, in North Atlanta, and so still lived, living down here, and so I was commuting through, through Atlanta. If anyone in here commutes uh, more than an hour or more or lives in Atlanta and comes to this church, raise your hand real quick. Yeah, I just want to celebrate you guys. We've had many students, church attenders, church family over the years, and I just want, I, I want you to know that we know that is a sacrifice, and it is a beautiful thing that you guys are doing in, in paying that cost to be where you feel that God has called you to be. And so, yes, thank you. Um, so I was making this commute, and I was uh, going up 75, 85, right down the center of Atlanta, and... All of a sudden, as I'm driving in the middle of morning traffic, one moment I'm in my car, the next moment I'm standing on top of one of the skyscrapers that's, that's in Atlanta. Now, again, these things happen, washing the Jordan, the whole thing, it's, it's part of the gig. Um, I, typically when I see in the spirit, I can still see the rest of the world just fine, and I can just, you know, there's sort of this, uh, almost like a translucent uh, projection with the things that I see. And so it's only a handful of times, maybe three or four that I can think of, that I had an experience like this where something that I saw in the spirit completely took over my, my vision. I could actually still feel the car underneath myself. Um, I could feel the steering wheel in my hands. I assumed that God had the uh, me not crashing thing handled because um, I, I did not have a way to manage that. Um, and I saw myself standing on top of one of these skyscrapers, and I saw this same angel that I had seen with the scroll some years before. He was standing near the edge of the skyscraper. And I had this moment of recognition. As soon as I felt like we recognized one another, he uh, was at the edge, and he leaned forward, and he fell off the edge. And I knew that I was supposed to follow. Um, now, I was perfectly aware that this was a vision. And as I said, I can still feel the car beneath my feet. But it's still a long way. Um, and so I, I approached the edge. I, I looked down. Again, I uh, knew this was a vision. And I was like, well, there's probably not, like, uh, stairs or anything. So um, I, I leaned forward and f fell forward. Didn't really feel that, you know, sensation of falling necessarily. But watched the pavement rush up to me. And as it did, I uh, passed straight through it as if it were made out of smoke. Um, <clears throat> and I fell down, down, down. I saw for a while there was, you know, piping and, and, and things like that, but eventually it was nothing but stone that was just rushing by and fell down, down, down in this vision until somewhere, at first it was nothing but darkness down below, but after a while I saw this little crystalline blue dot and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until I realized it was an opening, like an opening into a cave. As I fell through this opening, it was, I came out into this vast underground lake, like as big or bigger than an indoor football stadium. This vast underground lake of this crystalline blue water that went as far as you could see. And I slowed down and kind of settled and stopped on this outcropping of rock, and the angel was standing there next to me. And for a while, I just stood there looking at this vast lake, stood there next to this angel, and so finally, after a few minutes, I looked up at him and said, um, what's up with this lake? 
and he said, this is the well of revival that has been appointed for this region. And I said, oh. And I said, well, how do we, how do we get to it? You know, drills or... Yeah, he didn't laugh very much at it either. Um, <laughs> and he paused for a moment, almost like he was looking for the right word. And then he turned and he looked at me and he said, learn how to honor. And then I was back in my car. I said, oh, thank you. Oh, cute little water. <laughs> Learn how to honor. And to be honest, I felt haunted by that phrase because there's, there's so much um, wonder in that. There's such a lack of clarity there. You know, honor is one of those words that can mean a lot of different things in different circumstances. In, in some contexts, it's, it has to do with, with rank, with merit, with, you know, uh, giving honors to someone who's, who's worthy of honors. In, in some environments, that has to do with patriarchy and, and uh, family dynamics and, and things of that nature. Um, but I could f feel the truth of, of what he said. And I want us to be thoughtful here because when we're talking about the principles of God's kingdom, the, the building blocks with which he constructs his, his kingdom, um, we have to have humility when it comes to trying to understand the things of God. Um, we who are of a Western mind, who, who grew up in a rationalist, a rationalist society, and, and this is not a bad thing, but it can be limited when we're approaching something like the Lord. We like to understand things, to comprehend things, to be able to, to assign definition, to assign value, to assign measurement to things. And that's very useful. That's good. But it um, is sometimes harmful when we're dealing with someone who's infinite, who, whom you cannot contain, whom you cannot measure. And, and so there needs to be this balance of recognizing that when I hear I need to learn how to honor, if I just jump to, that means I need to do my definition of honor, I am taking a kingdom principle, a piece of who God is, and I'm just cookie-cuttering out a piece of it and applying it to my life, which will do good things, but it may not be open enough to do God things. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? And so the, the only uh, metric that I've found that's useful in this is that metric of humility, of, of recognizing I cannot understand who he is. He has to reveal himself to me. He has to reveal himself to us. He has to reveal what this means to, to, to all of us. And so uh, off and on uh, over the years, I've caught myself studying this, this idea of honor. Now we have someone in our, in our environment, uh, in our family environment named Danny Silk. You ever, ever heard of him? There's quite a lot to say about honor. Um, written a book or two of, about the subject. And one of you know, Danny's uh, de definitions that I love so much is he essentially describes it as seeing, seeing the good that God has placed in someone, seeing the true God-given identity that is in another person's life and treating them according to that. 
treating them according to the fully transformed, glorified version of that person that resides inside their heart, even if they're not fully living up to being that person just now. Um, honor is one of those things that when we hear about it, when we start studying it, we start understanding what it means to, to truly live in a culture of honor, to create a culture of honor. One of the uh, uh, correct things, but, sometimes, uh, but a, an impulse we have to be careful with is we immediately start evaluating, well, do I feel honored? Are people honoring me? Are people looking at me? Now, I want to um, walk the lines of nuance here because that is an appropriate response. A false version of humility would make us think, okay, it is only my job to honor others. But no, for honor to be complete, it has to flow both ways. You know? One baffling thing about uh, the Lord is his disciples, the people who were with him the most, argued about who was the greatest. Thought about who would be sitting at the right hand, you know. Found a roundabout way of asking. Hey, a friend said maybe that uh, wondering if who was going to be at your uh, right hand, so that maybe I could know who's at the left hand. You know, um, and it, it makes it, it seems to me that one of the consequences of being around God is actually feeling good about yourself. <laughs> is 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 realizing that God puts something good in you. In fact, in, in some ways, one could interpret the the two highest commandments as involving uh, how much you can love yourself, being a limiter for how much you are capable of loving others. Does that make sense? But at the same time, we still don't want to lose the other piece, which is this is my responsibility to bring to other people as well, to see others as they are in Christ, even if they're not in Christ yet. See them as an image bearer of God, as someone who was created in his image. And even if they are, in fact, uh, uh, this is a strong term, but even if they are defiling that image, that I can still see past that through the redemptive lens of God and see the person, the son or the daughter that is beneath that. Does that make sense? I want to read this scripture to you. There's, there's several scriptures that, that uh, touch on the subject of honor, but this, this one is one of my favorites. Um, if you would, turn to Romans uh, chapter, chapter 12. Um, the, the book of Romans is a great book. Uh, it's your, it's your uh, Western theologian's favorite book of the Bible generally. Um, and one of the reasons for that is this was likely written pretty late in Paul's career. And so he had been teaching, he had been preaching, he had been writing. And so in some ways, Romans is one of the most uh, mature and complete expressions of, of everything that he had learned and seen and known about the gospel. And, and so it, it is a very uh, useful book in that it is one of the most complete, singularly complete pictures of the gospel that we get in scripture. And it's uh, really beautiful for that. Um, a little bit of history, because I find it's helpful to understand what, what was being spoken to at this time. Um, so uh, uh, Paul is writing in response to a tension that's actually happening in the church in Rome at this time. Um, the, uh, the emperor of that particular time uh, had decided to uh, have all of the Jews uh, leave Rome, that they were no longer allowed. You know, emperor's got an empire. Um, got to kick people out and, you know, suppress people a little bit. That's just what you do when you're an emperor. Um, so... <laughs> 
Uh, and so this included both the, uh, the people who were still uh, both Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews. And so they had been kicked out. After a period of about five years, um, things changed and the Jews were invited back in to Rome. And so both the Christian and non-Christian Jews returned. And now the people who, the, the Gentile Christians, the ones who had not been Jewish, were, had been allowed to remain in Rome for those five years. And when those Jewish Christians came back, they're like, what are you doing? You are not acting like Christians. You're not keeping kosher. You're, you're celebrating God on the wrong day. It's supposed to be on this day. And there was all this conflict around, no, no, no. Of course, being a Christian includes these things. And the Gentile Christians were like, no, no, no. It just includes these things. And there's this big conflict that rose up in those things. And so Paul is writing to a divided church that is having friction and conflict around what the gospel even is, what, what the actual metrics of salvation are, how, what, what, what grace really looks like, what faith really looks like, what's the component of that. And that's one of the reasons we have this wonderful, especially in the first four chapters, this beautiful treatise on what the gospel is. I've heard, it, I've heard people call Romans the, the manifesto of, of Christianity, that, that it is this beautiful summarization of, of what it is. And so it's Paul kind of laying out, hey, here's what this is, here's what this means. He also goes into after that about how here's what the gospel is. Here's how this creates a transformed life inside of you. This is what this is supposed to produce. He takes a wonderful chunk of time to also in the middle of that um, make sure that they are not, um, that, that in this change and in this, in this understanding of this new covenant, that they are not denying the value that has been placed on Israel as as, as God's people, and it goes into the, the story that is still going on even to this day with God and with Israel, and essentially, hey, even though we may not be required to, to follow the, the laws, the, the 613 commandments, in the way that the, the Jewish people had to understand up until this point, that doesn't mean that God does not have a value for these people and that there is still not a story being, being written in the midst of this, and so he takes some time to do that. And so this is the chapter right after that. He's, he's gone through these, these um, three movements of, of expressing these, these facets of what's going on in this church and also what's going on in, in the church. Um, the next, next handful of chapters are, so if, if you want to imagine this for a second, the way this is arranged is to be a singular picture of you encounter the gospel, you are transformed by the gospel, you live a free and new life, yet you also recognize the history and the story that you are stepping into. And then this is talking about, in many ways, at least in my view, then what happens? What does that look like after that? Um, and so some, one of the challenges we have with Scripture is some of us have heard these so many times that in some ways they can lose their meaning. But instead, I want you to uh, step into a little bit of a challenge here with me. I want you to picture this church. I want you to picture the church in the United States right now in this moment of history, in these set of circumstances that we're, that we're in. I want you to picture the global church. And I want you to imagine that an apostolic father has written to you, hearing of the conflict, hearing of disagreement, hearing of challenge, has laid out a picture of what the gospel looks like, has laid out a picture of how that gospel is supposed to transform our lives, has laid out about how we're supposed to be respectful and acknowledge the, the, the history that God has led us through into up until this point, the, the, the legacy that we're stepping into. 
And now he's telling you what this is going to look like and feel like. And so I want you to, this may be a little bit cheesy, but I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to imagine that the Lord is, that the Lord is through an apostle speaking this to you at this time. So it's Romans 12, and this portion starts uh, in verse 9. And he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, a lot of people who come to this church in particular, uh, so many of the story, you can open your eyes if you want to, or you can keep them closed if Jesus is talking to you. <laughs> I can see some of you like, okay, is everyone else's eyes open? I'm just the one person with my eyes closed or, or not. I don't know. <laughs> um. <laughs> a lot of the people who I've talked to have come to this church, one of the pieces of their story uh, this is maybe a crass way to put it, and so I apologize if it is so. But I, if I were to summarize it, it would be that they have been saved from religion. That, that oftentimes the people I meet that come to a church like this, they have experienced a kind of um, strictness, a, a regiment, a, 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 an experience within church that was all about performance. That was, that was all about do this, do that, and con condemning uh, would be kind of fake maybe and, and uh, have some hypocrisy present, things like that. These, these are stories I've heard over, over the years. And um, I think sometimes... One of, the, um, one of the challenges that we can face in moving away from performance-oriented uh, discipline towards our behavior is, is miss out, in, in the beauty of that freedom, we can miss out on the Lord's ultimate goal, which is the transformation of our heart. <laughs> um, what I just read is what church is supposed to look like. That's what church is supposed to feel like when you walk in. It's what you're supposed to create with the way that you treat people, with the way that you think about people, with the way that you act towards people. And we should be able to recognize when our actions don't, when it doesn't create that, especially one to another, <laughs> especially when we're talking about 
brothers and sisters who are following Jesus, brothers and sisters who are pursuing the Lord, brothers and sisters who may have small differences of opinion about the way you should, ought to follow Jesus, but ultimately have the same goal of following him. There's a, there's a way that we ought to treat one another, that we ought to think of one another, a, a, a belonging that we are intended to produce in, in one another. And I believe it starts with honor. It starts with seeing people for who they are in Christ. Every encounter that you have with God, be it in the word, be it in worship like we had just a little bit ago, be it at, at a time alone when you're praying by, by yourself, be it in, uh, amongst the fellowship of friends in, in, a, in a family camp, every single encounter with God is meant to transform you to be more like him to think more like him, to act more like him, to respond to things more the way he does. And we need to recognize, we need to have the, we, we, I preached the last four or five times on performance. And one of the reasons I emphasized, felt that the Lord is emphasizing performance so much is, is performance will actually sabotage transformation. It will, it will demand that we behave a certain way without changing the internal, of, the, the internal dynamic of our heart. And performance is incapable of recognizing an untransformed self. Because in performance, being not yet transformed is failure. <laughs> and, and someone who is trying to perform cannot fail because, because it is life or death. But if instead we can show up as humble children who know that we have been welcomed into this kingdom, that he loved us on our worst day, that, that, that he wanted us for us, not for what we could do for him. That is the capacity in that kind of unconditional love that we can actually transform, that we can actually change, that we can actually think differently. And if what I'm reading in the word, if what I am, if what I'm hearing in my quiet time with the Lord, if what I'm hearing when others share the word of the Lord is not making me honor people more, see God in other people more, fall in love with people more, then I am missing part of the gospel. And I need to have the courage to face that and recognize it and see that that is not being produced in my life. Because I will say... I see a church like this on certain scales. I've seen a church like this one-on-one -on -one with people. I've seen a church in groups of five and 10, 20 sometimes. I see it start to rattle apart as soon as we get a little bit bigger than that sometimes, especially when you get to church to church and, and, and national church and international church and things like that. It starts where we don't even treat our own this way. <laughs> let alone getting to where he got, which is feeding our enemies, <laughs> loving our enemies as Jesus challenged us to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray an impartation for you guys today. Um, we're, it's easy to look at the world right now and feel scared about choices that are being made, about directions that are, being, that are going, and to get just on to look at the surface the outcomes the legislations the the um, outcomes of people's individual lives and be reactive to that 
I want to caution us to be careful about that because when we are just being responsive to the end result of things, we, we run the risk of doing what, hap- what Paul warns us against at the beginning of this chapter, which is being conformed to the pattern of this world. Is, is the picture there is being pressed into a mold that's the shape of a world, and it's, we can become responsive to that rather than responsive to Christ. <laughs> Does that make sense? Now, it's a challenge, especially when things that are happening are anti-Christ, <laughs> are, are against who he is. That, that is a, a challenge. But the solution can only be found through the transformation that he has for us. Does that make sense? Because below the surface of whatever outcome is scaring you most right now is... is <laughs> I'm about four books deep in reading about this, but is an epidemic of, of loneliness. Is an epidemic of loneliness. Is an epidemic of distrust. Of distrust in families, distrust of authorities, just distrust. Every direction, every kind, every flavor, there's an epidemic of distrust. There is an epidemic of a crisis of meaning, people not having purpose and meaning, people who are coming into maturity, young adults who are coming into a, uh, to maturity with no purpose and desperately grabbing on whatever looks the most important as purpose and seizing that. And all of these things are leading to a tribalism where people are gathering around small ideas and fighting each other. And the solution to that is nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. But one of the ways that we can start is with honor, is with making it our business to see one another and people in the world the way that God sees them. You know, when I teach about seeing in the spirit and I say I see angels and demons and and things like that, there are some people, uh, no one in this room, of course, um, but there are some people who get a little bit nervous, like, he's going to see something on me, and that's, uh, he's going to judge me, and, you know, that's, ah, uh, don't look. And I'm like, I can see through your hands just fine. Um, uh, um, I'm going to pray an impartation, and I don't want you to receive it if you don't want to. Because the truth is that when you see people the way that God does, it is the most humbling experience you've ever had in your entire life. You realize the the impossible goodness of a God who would hide so much of his glory in such a fragile vessel, who would put so much trust in so many people, young, old, and everywhere in between, who would put, who would depend so much on his kids to enact his will on the earth, that you will see that will planted in the heart of person after person after person after person, and it will make you love people that you didn't realize you hated until you realize how much love has transformed the way that you see them. It will make you, it will make your heart break for things that you were able to keep a cold, critical distance from. It will make your heart break and bleed for people who are being hurt and harmed by a, a, a 
domino effect of sin that has been rolling through our earth since, since the beginning of time. It will make your heart break. It is painful, and that is one of the, way, one of the reasons we try to avoid it with religion, with, with these systems. It's because real love is full of pain. <laughs> because it hurts to put so much care into people's lives. <laughs> but we will never be able to have the authority to release his transformation into people that we do not honor and we do not love. <laughs> you will never have the authority to release it. <laughs> and we're come and I believe that the it's <laughs> it is time for this word to come to fruition and it is time for all of us to learn how to honor Learn, and we're all on a different journey on that spectrum. Some of us need to start with ourselves. If we cannot honor what God has put in us, if we cannot see it, if we can only judge ourselves, critique ourselves, look down on ourselves, we will not have the capacity to see others as valuable, to see others as loving. It is a limiter on our capacity to love one another. And so for some of us, we have to start there. Others, we need to move to that next stage of truly giving, of truly seeing something that's worth dying for in the people around you, because that is what Jesus saw. <laughs> that is what Jesus saw. That is what the Father saw, is people that were worth dying for. One of the main definitions of, of honor <laughs> in the dictionary is... <laughs> is respect based on the worth of someone. And so understand that part of what we are being transformed is understanding God's uh, metric for worthiness, for value, for love. And we need to recognize that every time he has shown up with that, it has challenged people. It, challenged, it was one of the main critiques the Pharisees had for them is the kind of people that he would honor by going to their home, honor by having conversation with them. And it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I'm, I'm with you in this wrestle of, well, but that led to transformation, that led to change, but it started with love. It started with unconditional love. It started with seeing something that was not there yet and treating them that way and loving them that way. It started with that, and it has to start with that. And if we invert that to as soon as you correct your behavior, I'll be able to let some of this love towards you. We have undermined the gospel. <laughs> we have sabotaged the gospel at its knees because it started because, I mean, it's right here. We love God because he first loved us. <laughs> that is how he did it, and that is what we are repeating with the way that we act, with the way that we talk, with the way that we think about people. Does that make sense? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys. Um, I want all of you to stand up. <laughs> um, very genuinely, if this is something you don't feel ready to receive, you can say a little, uh, little X mark in your heart if you want to. And I, I genuinely don't, there's no, again, we got to work that religion out of us. I don't want you to perform to know some, see something that you need to have that your heart's not ready for. When we have those moments of friction, those are invitations to talk with the Holy Spirit about what's going on there. And those are some of the best, most painful, most beautiful conversations that I've ever had is, hey, I can't forgive this person, even though I know I'm supposed to. All right, 
talk to me. Talk to me, Father. Talk to me about what's going on here. Hey, I can throw a blanket, God loves everyone, bit of love towards this person, but I can't love them with my whole heart. <laughs> I can't, and if, I'm, if I say that I am, I'm lying. So, Lord, make your love complete in me. Make your love complete in me. Challenge my heart. Challenge my perspective. Challenge my view. And make your love complete in me. So that's the prayer I'm going to pray is I'm going to ask the Lord to invite each of us on a journey of making his love complete in us. As I said before, <laughs> I say this with kindness, I guarantee it's going to hurt because loving people hurts. <laughs> it opens us up to vulnerability. And we may discover that we need to rebuild some structures that are inside ourselves to be able to carry that, to be able to walk with that. And it is okay if you find that you can't carry that just yet because that is the, the solution to that is not in your character, is not in your ability. It is in the transformational power of Jesus Christ and no one else. So, Lord, I just thank you so much for these people. I thank you. They're the kind of people that would spend a weekend together in, in, in uh, smoky conditions <laughs> and um, that, that they would still show up to worship you together, to, to pursue your voice together. I first ask, Lord, that you would give every single one of us eyes of honor, that we would learn how to make the love that you have given us transform the way that we see people, that we would see people the way that you see them. We would see the glory, the image of God, the, 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 the transformed person before they have trans, been transformed. We would see them in, in, on the street. We would see them in our families. We'd see them in our church. And we would see them in ourselves, Lord. We ask for eyes of honor to be upon every single one of us, that we would transform the way that we see Lord, I ask that we would require an environment of honor, that we would actually recognize the value that is within us and not in a way that's conceited, not in a way that is prideful or puffed up, but in a way that is, that is matching the honor and love that we are giving to others, that we would require love from our environment and from the people around us, Lord. And lastly, Lord, I ask just for this impartation that we would be invited into a season of your love being made complete in us, Lord. That any area where that love has stunted, where it's bumped up against our pain, our trauma, our history, our story, a, a, a circumstance that wasn't even our fault in any regard, Lord, anywhere that that love would conquer all inside of ourselves, Lord. That we would receive the transformational power of Jesus Christ into that area and become more like you, that we would have the courage to see the places where your love is not yet complete in us, the places where we hold back, the people that we hold back with, the places where we get reserved, where we get restrained, where we get uncomfortable, Lord, that we would be able to recognize that that is an opportunity to be yet again transformed by love and, and another space where there's an opportunity to release heaven onto earth in that person's life, in our family, in our churches, and across the world. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.